plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. What'd you say? Plus minus. Marcus Thompson. Marcus always telling the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well respected. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome to another edition of Warriors Plus Minus. We have gotten through the draft. We've pretty much gotten through the better part of free agency, and we've got a lot to talk about. I'm here with my homies, Tim Kawakami, Anthony Slater, and we should officially call this the Justinian Jessup episode after his stirring, stellar performance at the California Classic. Do we have a new Slater? Do we have a new... Alan Smilogy killing our hands. <laughs> Seems like you're trying to go down that path. We probably would if they put him on the roster, but I don't think he's playing himself on the roster. No guaranteed money there. That was the issue with Smilogy. So I don't think we'll be talking. We should, yeah, this will, might be the last time we talk about Justinian Jessup. Man, what will we do without things. a spot? We got to replace Smilogy. <laughs> what will this podcast do without it? I'm trying to keep us alive. You know what I'm saying? We'll figure someone out. We'll manufacture somebody. Maybe, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll find somebody exotic and interesting and bad. That's all you need. Those are the magic ingredients uh, and the, it's podcast glory. I think Tim has his eyes set on Nemanja Bielica. <laughs> well, he's right. yeah, a little too proven, a little too proven for that. But uh, Omri Caspi was proven. Yeah, actually, I thought about that when when I was thinking and I saw this trade, but he's better than Bielica. I know I. I who did I? Who did I? Bielitz is better than Caspi. Who I compared? I guess why Wagner to Caspi. I, I think Bielitz is a, a step above this. He's bigger, first of all, and I think he's proven it on on a decent level. Now Caspi had been pretty good too. Same team, Sacramento Kings, but I think Bielitz is better. We'll see. I, I might be totally wrong on that. What Bielitz does is he fits the need of like a stretch big. I mean, Caspi was a wing. Bielitsa can play next to Draymond Green and, and spread the floor. I th- even think he could play next to, to Wiseman a little bit too. And so that's just like more roster versatility than, you know, if they I And I've said this. I, I frankly thought he was going to play more when he, he went to the Heat at the end of last season. And even if he was a little hurt, I, I think he was healthy at in the playoffs and he barely played in the playoffs. And I think they could have used him in the playoffs. So that was a little like a little question mark for me because I like him. I've always liked him. And, you know, it's amazing. Like they had Bogdanovich and Bielitsa on that Kings team. It's a, I mean, some pretty good players have gone through there and they all go through. They don't exactly all stick. But anyway, let's talk. Let's talk about Summer League. We had the Summer yeah, League. No, yesterday. no, we, yeah. we got to We got to go back a little bit further. The last time we potted was the draft. And then after the draft, we got to talk a little bit about Slater's interview with Joe Lacob. A lot was said. Uh, we, we've got a, a couple exclusive interviews to talk about, but let's start with uh, with Joe and some of his commentary to you, Slater, and it definitely piggybacked off his conversation with you on TK Show. As you've digested it since what the week it's been, uh, what stands out to you about what Joe said? That I do think it came from an authentic place where, you know, I know 
there's been some attempted like reading of the tea leaves like how much of it was potential smoke screen how much of it was to try to throw off basically the the reputation out there that the warriors are desperate to make a you know a trade for a star and they'll they'll give any, anything you want in a package um and that's why joe lakeup did it no i mean joe lakeup did it because i went up to him after the draft not on the record at all and he was sitting there glowing about the draft and i mean all three of us know joe lakeup he's that wasn't fake i mean he really thinks kaminga can be like a potential superstar he's really remains extremely high on james wiseman you know i asked him hey do you want to go on the record and say some of this stuff and and even just the way he's saying it you could tell he's like this is his opinion this is his true opinion of the path of the franchise moving forward which is you know more than probably steph curry draymond green certainly more than and the fans, Joe Lacob cares about 2024, 2025, and beyond in the Chase Center and and with his franchise. And and we can debate, we all will and, and will continue to de- debate if there should be more urgency in the next two seasons. But Joe Lacob, I think, is genuinely laying out the path for the fan base. They can like it or not, but it is authentic. I think he made it clear that he's not putting some valuable pieces into the trade mix <laughs> like that that sounded very clear to me he's not uh, especially once he saw Kaminga was on the board Wiseman and Kaminga in order to do a deal that would include either one of them it would have to be a deal so obviously and mind-blowing that Giannis you know, it's a no-brainer yes <laughs> yeah so outside of that th- th- those aren't moving and it's not even just that he he loves them, which he does, but it's also because he's he is looking at this from a 10-year perspective and not a two. I mean, that kind of nixes all ideas of going to get a big a big star. If if those are those two pieces are not in the package and weren't gonna be in a package and aren't gonna be in a package, then they're just not getting anybody. What was the quote? We have the stars. That's his belief. I'm gonna push back on a little bit on this is that I, I think he absolutely feels this, but I also think Joe reacts to things. And sometimes we don't know what he's reacting to. And a lot of this is, oh, we're not going to add salary for, you know, we're, we've got all these, we're paying all this money. It's like, well, what if you can construct a trade where you're not adding salary? And that's not part of what his debate, this this argument is. It's just we're not, we can't add salary. We look, at, look at how much we're paying. I think some of this, this is my opinion, I wrote this, it's, he hear you know, there's debate in the Warriors headquarters. There's things he hears from agents. There's things he hears Stephen A. Smith say. There's things he hears Tom Haverstrow say, whatever. And he's reacting to that. He's saying, well, you know, we're not, and I think Slater put it perfectly a little while. It was like, we're not just dumping everything, you know, because we're in a panic. That's the reaction. We're not just saying, forget all these draft picks. We got to, we, we need some 32 year old who makes 35. Miles Turner. Yeah. Gotta yeah, go yeah, get Miles that's, Turner. I think that's, the heart of the point now it does carry over to ben simmons or whoever yes does it yes some of that thinking but it's a sliding scale if they could get ben simmons for what they consider a great deal they would think about it of course they would think about it they've talked to daryl Morey about it it's just what they're willing to do versus what the conversation is i think that's where we're seeing the agitation from from joe Laker. maybe some within the, in the organization think slightly differently but that's what he's enunciating. It do, and I say it's not a decree. It's not this is it. The line is drawn. We shall. They've they've gone back and forth on some of these things. Joe has gone back and forth on some of these things. 
I think it's a reaction to things he's hearing that they would do anything to in order to get 2% better with a 33-year-old. That they will not do. But if he raises the bar so high that it doesn't matter anyway, isn't it effectively the same thing? That's if true. I'm saying you know, I'm never getting married again unless it's with Halle Berry, <laughs> that just basically saying I'm never getting oh, married again. Oh, I don't know. Again. I don't know. I don't know. you got to <laughs> shoot your shot on that one. Nah. But uh, I think... Bradley Beal's the perfect middle ground on that one, and someone might have written about this already. Like Giannis, they can't get. That's who they would do it for. They can't get. Miles Turner is Slater. There's others that you know have been thrown out there. Probably not enough. Siakam, Bradley Beal. Like okay, you think like the Wizards say yes? We are now talking about Bradley Bradley Beal. What do you have to offer? And Bob Myers can say, well, we can't talk about Wiseman. Forget about no, no. It's a sliding scale. It's okay. If it's Wiseman, what else? If it's you know Wiseman plus Wiggins, let's think about it. It's not never. That's I, I think people got to realize that about Joe. This is part of an like ongoing discussion in Warriors HQ, or you know when when Joe talks to someone else and it's just kind of interpreted differently in his mind than we interpret it. We we think this is it. Oh no, done. It's over. Forget it. He's declaring it. This the season doesn't matter. No, he's saying. The stuff that I'm hearing now, that's bunk. That's what he's saying. But it could change. And the dynamics could change. I don't think they will. I think the weird part about this is I kind of tweeted, like, say somebody loves Kaminga. And they see last night, and we'll talk about this on the show. Well, the better Kaminga plays, the more the Warriors are going to want to hold on to him. Like, I mean, they're not giving him up if he looks great. Like, that's the weirdness here is their values are going to pod up along with everyone else of their own players if these trades are being discussed. So the better their guys are, the more value they have, it's going to be almost harder to close that window on a big deal. The seventh pick two weeks ago was much easier to try to get from the Warriors than trying to get Jonathan Kaminga from them today. Because he fell there, because they picked him, because they already have liked the first week. And I don't just mean, hey, he looked good. Like I said, we'll talk about it. I mean, just talking to coaches and people behind the scenes. Like, he's been a very good worker so far. He's coming in at 7 a.m. He's doing double-day type workouts. Like, they're in on him very quickly, early. We'll see, again. But to me, even, you know, you mentioned the Bradley Beal possibility. And, like, let's say Washington starts poorly and and maybe Beal becomes more available in the first month, second month, near the trade deadline. I think it would create some some potential tense conversations within Warriors HQ because I do think, you know, maybe the stars, maybe Myers, maybe some front office people, coaches, whatever, might be like, hey, you know, let's look at this a little bit. And I, I just, I find it hard to believe that at this point that Joe would want to put Wiseman or Kaminga on the table even in that situation. And if neither of them are on the table, Washington's walking away from the table because they could get better stuff. So Washington's Washington's going to ask for both, right? That's what Washington's going to ask for. And yeah, it's hard. That part I agree with. There there is a sketching out of the Warriors aren't in play. They're not like saying what else is going to take? What else? They're not there. And a big part of this is their valuing of Wiseman. Like they're not down on Wiseman. We know that. And everyone else is going to try to get him on discount. Look, look, he didn't play very well. I don't know. How's he going to fit in the new NBA? He gets gets hurt a lot. And that is not how the Warriors value him. And in any trade discussion where you, where a team says, okay, we'll take Wiseman, the Warriors are going to say, no, no, Wiseman's worth like two number ones, and we're not going to even discuss it if, if it if you don't value him like that. That screws things up. So does the Wiggins valuation. It screws up 
trying to match value when you're doing these deals. And that's what really tangles it up for, for I think. And part of also is this is maybe the Warriors have looked at some of these and they don't like the valuing of it. They don't like giving up everything for Siakam. And Joe's saying, okay, forget that. We're going to go with what we got. We like our guys. So forget what the how the league values these guys. We're going to keep them and we're going to win, in my in my interpretation of Joe. They're making a, a major bet that Clay Thompson will be fine. That's that's the bet. Um, as you wrote already, this is really all about where you see Clay fitting. Which was interesting to me. Steph was talking about they're basically preparing to not have Clay to start their season at all. Like sounds like 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 not that's even what like, he sounded like. Right? Kind yeah. of working his way in. He's playing ten minutes. Yeah, there's a feel to this. Again, maybe they're just preparing themselves for the worst. So when it's better, it all feels great. But it sounds like, like Kent Bazemore. I'm not, you know, Kent Bazemore isn't the barometer of a lot of things, but he could have stayed, and instead he went to the Lakers. Uh, there's a sense to me, and even I don't know if you guys thought. I thought. I mean, Myers has been more morose in press conferences. We've all seen it, but he wasn't exactly chipper on draft night, and just brought it up himself that there's no there's no wings out there. There's no wing free agents. Like I mean, yeah. It felt hot. it felt like he was feeling good compared to the last time. Yeah, yeah, well, that was oh, that's man. when he's about to lose Kevin Durant. So that was a little different. Remember that time? That was oh, rough. My, yeah. Oh, that was like I was depressed after that. It was unbelievable. But I think they knew they I mean they knew they're going to go after Batum. They knew they're going to after Mills and they I feel like Bob at that point was communicating that they didn't think they were going to get him. Because it's all clay. It's all clay. It's all based on clay. It wasn't based on clay and everything. It was just based on clay. They're, they've got a few other guys. Otto Porter, if healthy, big question mark, is somebody who can help them a lot. Bielitsa, we'll see. We'll see with the rookies. We'll see whatever, what anyone else they get. But it does feel like, and here's my grand picture here, is if they're not so sure about clay, maybe that makes them less interested in making a big move because you add to the salary you get older and if clay isn't great what do you have still you just you're you're a sixth seed it's different if clay's like they're like okay in february we're getting 95 percent of clay and then we're gonna go after championship so let's keep adding because every extra piece is just gonna help us maybe win a game game three in you know in denver or whatever if they don't feel that, that maybe you don't go to $310 million on the payroll. Maybe you don't give up a 19-year-old for a 31-year-old. Like If you just play it out that way, and it sort of seems like it. Again, I'm not saying they're writing off Clay. I'm saying... Like if it's fifty one forty nine, they might be leaning on the you know on the on the darker side of that. But if it's the other way, if you don't think it's Clay, doesn't that it feels like the other side of that coin is to really go after somebody because now you're facing a mediocre season again for a third straight year, and there's no telling when that ends. At some point, if you don't believe Clay will come back after three years, you got to start thinking about replacing them anyway. So drafting drafting Jonathan Kaminga and Moody doesn't do that for you. There's nobody in the pipeline who does that for you. So at some point, you got to deal with this situation anyway. So why not try to prepare for Clay not to be there by going to get somebody who helps you win now? Because the worse that they are, I mean, they looked better and they look closer this year and they still can't get anybody. So if they have another season like that, because Clay's not there. When do you get somebody? Like, when do you get the Clay replacement? 
I think part of what Tim is saying, though, is if Clay doesn't look like he's ever going to get nearly back to what he used to be, and I view it the other way where where I could see management, particularly the the highest level of management, start to really lean into the next era. I mean, it's just just kind of my read. Not just, hey, Clay doesn't look good. Trade all the future assets to try to, like, you know, get somebody else to kind of replace what Clay can do. I think suddenly it starts being more like, how good does Jonathan Kaminga look? Maybe he needs to get 25, 30 minutes a night. I mean, it's just, I mean, fans may not want to hear it, uh, but I just kind of think it's it's a reality. But how do you hold on to Wiggins as this untradeable piece in that universe? Because you you lose value when you trade him. I'm not saying Wiggins is an untradable piece. I'm saying it's a double-mindedness. Either you are moving on or you're not. Like, so... Again, I always talk about this. I probably talk. It's a two-way play. It's maybe Clay's going to be back. We're not going to dump everything because if he is back, we sure as hell, you know, in their minds, want Wiggins on this team. They want the other pieces that can help out. But if he's not, and you know, you do have to plan for the worst, and maybe they really are start to, starting to think about that. You don't add forty million dollars for somebody who might be what sixty percent of Clay. 72% of clay while subtracting something that might really You can't do that. You can't add 40 million dollars. So who no but who who are we talking about here? What is the move that they that they should have done that they didn't do for for financial reasons? We will never know that. We we don't know what Wiseman or the number 7 and Wiggins would have got you. But I'm saying if you think it could get you a Miles Turner, you're essentially cashing in a number 7 pick or whoever, and, and you're giving up Wiggins' salary. Nobody's adding $40 million on top of what you have. Yeah, yeah. The, the but, then point small, is, but, but then you need the, a small forward and, you know. Yeah, but, but the point is, like, if Clay's not going to be there, right, and, and you don't think he's going to be there, there is a thought process to say, well, how do we make the team that we have good? Because you got to feel Chase. You can't keep not making the playoffs. You want those local TV ratings up. Yeah, I, I, I get, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could think of it that way. Like, all right, we need to have a reinforcement in case Clay is not there. And who is that now? Because as it is now, you basically run it back the same team you had. That, that's pretty much what it is right now. You add, you, you're hoping Otto Porter and Bielitsa gives you something extra, but you still don't have a playmaker. You still don't have. Somebody who can get you thirty. I, I guess you're putting it all on Jordan Poole. It becomes yeah, Jordan. Maybe that's you, you, told him, you told him to. You told him to. I, I'll just. I, I, but here, let me just be devil's advocate. I understand what you're saying, but is Miles Turner flip for Andrew Wiggins minus a draft pick really make them that much better? Are you sure it does without Clay Thompson? Are you sure it doesn't? <laughs> I, I don't know, but it's is it? I am allowing them the opportunity to say no, it doesn't. Maybe if like TJ Warren comes with him, you could argue. But the truth is, and like I don't think Andrew Wiggins is not available. I do think there could be an Andrew Wiggins trade for maybe two pieces that that they would do. The problem is they're not attaching Kaminga and they're not attaching Wiseman. And if they're not doing that, the league's going. Andrew Wiggins is a negative contract. We want Andrew Wiggins and the stuff. And I just think the Warriors are going. You're not getting the stuff. And if that's the impasse there's just not a deal to be made because i just don't think they're adding Kaminga or wiseman to get mid-tier pieces i don't think so either and that's why i'm saying they're saying no deal <laughs> like it's not like yeah. Yeah, oh I mean, we'll make a deal if the right deal comes along it's basically impossible to ever find the right deal this idea that you can only improve your team by getting Giannis is crazy at some point you do make a couple trades 
and like yo, is Miles Turner the perfect? Pick? How 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 could you ever make a trade then? Like, is the only way to sign off on a trade is if it's Kevin Durant? No, like okay, Miles Turner might work, he might not work, just like Andrew Wiggins might work or he might not work, or D'Angelo. Like that's what it is. But I'm just saying, if they're saying no, we're not trading any pieces unless you want Pat. Basically, it's Pascal. <laughs> Uh, I mean, is Jordan Poole on the table? I bet you Jordan Poole is not tradable right now. I would say Jordan Poole's value to them is a lot higher than what, you know. A lot higher than what everybody else is. So basically, you're not trading anything. All these pieces are more valuable to them kept than they are on the trade market. So they're stuck. So they're stuck. You know, it is a sticking point. And there's one person I think they would, you know, other than Giannis, let's just Stop talking about it. It's not going to happen. It's Bradley Beal. That's the one person theoretically out there that they would stop and think about it. And that's it. I just don't see. I don't. I don't even see Lillard. And and I know people scream about that. It doesn't cost too much, and it doesn't quite fit the roster because then you have he and Steph making a hundred million dollars. I don't know. That's exactly what you want to do there. So. They're they're kind of stuck. They're just kind yeah, of yeah. They are with, with, yeah with, with the salaries they've got, with the players they've got. They're not going to get increased value for anybody in the roster except for Kaminga and Moody, maybe. And and, and I don't think, you know, as, as Anthony keeps saying, I don't think they're trading either one of them, likely trading either one of them. We'll see if Beal comes available. I don't think Beal's available. So this is where they are. Lacob happens to say it in ways that get a lot of fans angry. I get it. It's understandable. But I'm trying to say this is what it, it's it's there's a practical sense. It's like real politic. Like you're saying some things in order to make sure you're positioned right into the next year, two years, three years, four years. And some of it you're trying to convince yourself. Some of it you're trying to convince other people in the building. Some of it you're trying to convince Steph Curry. Well, maybe you're not convincing Steph Curry very much, but uh, you're trying. And that's how I read it. That's how I've always read Joe in the first place since I talked to him plenty. That's how I read those. Again, I went, whoa, that's you usually don't talk about it like that. You usually don't talk about like the next generation when you've got the greatest generation who've ever played for your franchise in the history. And you will never have a better generation than, than they got right now. But you also have to do it. You also have to think about it. You can't just say, ah, hell to hell with Jonathan Kaminga. You know, you, you take them. And there were there were fans who didn't want them to take them even. You have to do it because that's the value, and then you deal with whatever comes up. But if a great deal gets on the table, I think Bob Myers is going to talk about it. I absolutely do. And they were trying to get Patty Mills, which would have cost them. But there isn't going to be a great deal on the table ever. When you take off all the pieces, you will never get a great deal. Well, no, I think Bradley Beal. You will never get a great deal. They would talk about Wiseman and Kaminga. I don't know if they would do it, but they wouldn't say, hell with you if Bradley Beal did it. Well, especially, you know, like their opinions on their own prospects can change a month into the season, two months into the season. They can change after one summer league game, which, again, I think we'll probably get to very soon. But, you know, Marcus, where you're right is like there are deals to be made that would make them better next season, that would make them closer to a title next season. There are 100% are, are ways that they could do it. It would cost them probably one of those two. Like, I think those two facts are just aligned right now. Like, yes, there are deals to be made to, to make them marginally better for next season. No, they are unwilling to foot the future cost that it takes. And I just think that's where they are. And that's why I think this is kind of the roster heading into next season. There's probably going to be a couple additions on the margins, some veterans. But generally, I just think this is what they're they're moving forward into the season with. So that's assuming no, not using the taxpayer mid-level? That that's an interesting call. And that... that that is one place you're we'll saying see. they're not going to do something just because of money. There's no value cost at all 
you're not going to do something just for money. I, I can see them not doing it. They didn't use it last year. They used a portion of it on Wanamaker. They didn't use the $9 million, whatever, the, uh, the disabled player exception. They held two roster spots completely open late in the season when they could have had, you know, rotation help Gary Payton. The second could have helped them, but they waited till the end of the season. Like they've been cutting costs on the margins. And even you go back to when they signed to Marcus Cousins for the taxpayer mid-level leading up to that, you know, they were being pretty transparent unless there's a huge game changer. They're not going to like take on 25 something million. This is like three years ago. And when they were winning titles, now they decided to because DeMarcus Cousins called them and remember at the time how much of a shock that was to, to everybody. So yeah, look again, you've mentioned it, Tim, if Dennis Schroeder's like really just like spurned by this whole situation, can't get anything and calls the Warriors and it's like, give it to me. Or even, you know, I don't know. I was going to say Danny Green, but he just signed back with the Sixers. Like, but is there any other names out there? No. Well, Reggie ja- Reggie Jackson, but I don't. I think he's staying with the Clippers. I would assume That's, he would just yeah. take it from the Clippers, who still yes. have the TPM yes. only available. So uh, I'm um, wondering if I wonder again, since I'm the one writing Schroeder, and who knows? And I understand if they wouldn't have any interest, but I'm thinking, can you get Schroeder for less than the traded player mid level? Like, like there's no market for him. Like, there, you don't even hear about him being talked about with anybody, and he's not going back to the Lakers. So, like, could you see him getting come for five, like one year, five million dollars? Boom. You know what I could see happening? I could see like Sam Presti giving him like one year, 15 mil or something like that to come in. He's played there. Sam Presti literally traded him for a first round pick like 12 months ago. And Sam Presti needs to hit his salary floor anyways. It's like, you know, bring him in for one year, 15 million, like let him like go off in the first month and then just dangle him around at the deadline. Yeah, trade hey, him for a future first yeah, round pick. For another future first <laughs> round pick. One, like, twice. It's a very Sam Presley move. So, you know, because that's where cap space is. And, you know, I think his his financial floor would be in free agency is to go take... He could get a full MLE because there's plenty of non-taxpaying teams that have $9 million and I think it's like nine ten million. I think He could get that at a minimum. He could still impact you know a team i mean it's why he would be a steal for the warriors so i don't see that materializing what was interesting about this um steph's thoughts about everything is essentially uh he he signed the, the deal because he felt good about what they were doing is it at all surprising that Steph's stamp of approval didn't really change the narrative <laughs> <laughs> well because yeah, i don't think i hear heard him say you know what? Every move they made was fantastic. I endorse every single move. No, that's not. It was more like, yo, the <laughs> effort is there. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they're uh, trying. We want to win. I mean, they want to win. Just t- talking to him, I think he knew what they were doing. He could get Batum and, pa- and Patty Mills, right? Like, he saw they were trying to make the effort and they couldn't close that deal. So I think, and Bradley Beal didn't come out there. He even said it like, this is the best team that we could that this is the best team that we could have based on what's available. And that is basically him vouching for it. Like, yo, this, this is, this is the program. So it's, uh, it's funny how he essentially ends up aligned with Joe on this, you know, like, yo, this, this is, the, this is the best, the best we can do for it's the money. real politic. It's like, I have to say this for the moment, because this is what's best for the moment. And then we'll see what else happens. Uh, and I think people understand that. Steph is rational. He he gets these things. He wanted him. Mean, he could have not signed the deal, right? That that's was his hammer. Just not sign the deal. Just delay it a little bit. Maybe you have every intent to sign it, but you just don't. Like remember, Giannis drove everyone crazy for a couple of weeks in Milwaukee, not signing that deal last summer. It could have happened that way with Steph, and he didn't. He agreed to it as soon as he could possibly agree to it. 
and off they go for another, you know, this year plus four more. But I think people get that he's still monitoring and Draymond's still monitoring and they're going to have influence and they're going to, you know, they're going to push for the things they want to push for. It'd be interesting. I mean, Marcus, do you think he's thinking that they won't use the taxpayer mid-level? And, and what, what do you think if they don't? I think he already knows if they are or not or the list of players that they would use it for and how many of they can get. I think he already knows a lot of that. I think him and Bob have been down all these roads and I'm sure he's making phone calls, right? I'm sure he's trying to recruit. Uh, so if they don't use it, I think there's probably a list of players they have where they were like, yo, we'll use it. Or maybe he already knows, yo, we're not going to use this mid-level, but <laughs> we'll see what happens with the trade deadline or whatever. So whatever whatever the plan is, he's signed off on it. He's saying, this is a plan I'm cool with, understanding all the, the circumstances. Uh, and, you know, what, one of the most interesting things that he said was how much he loved the draft picks. Uh, Slater, you were surprised to see that? I guess what he's supposed to say, right? Like, I wasn't uh, surprised to see that. I mean, one of the things that I think is sometimes like, maybe miscalculated is how much Steph really does view this as a five-year plan. It isn't next season's playoffs are all that matters. I mean, it's really the next four to five. Four he years doesn't think runs. he's going to, yeah, he doesn't think he's going to be, he thinks he's going to be great for a couple more years and he has every right to think that. So it's like, you know, do I think Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody and James Wiseman will help them win a second round playoff series, you know, however, like 11 months from now? No. But do I think that, slowly they can inch their way into being impact players and impact winning players in the next two seasons in the next three seasons yes and i think steph knows he needs to build them up for obviously two reasons their value goes up to trade and also like i don't know i mean we watched jonathan Kaminga last night i mean he's going to be inefficient he's going to be turnover prone he's going to be you know mistake riddled defensively but there's probably going to be nights where steph kicked it over to Kaminga and he's feeling it he's just have like going downhill and scoring 18 and him and Draymond are basketball minds, and they're they're looking at if they use Wiseman, utilize Wiseman correctly, and he shows some growth. If Kaminga is a little bit readier than expected, if Moses Moody really can just make forty five percent of his corner threes and defend smartly, like you know, those are rotation pieces. Those are rotation pieces that really jolt the ceiling of the team. You know, we mentioned Otto Porter and Bealitz. This sure helpful, but like very much like not gonna really change the dynamic. I mean, think about Jordan Poole. If we were talking, you know, in the second month of last season, and I mentioned like Jordan Poole is really gonna kind of maybe change the complexion of the team and how they're looking off the bench. You guys would have been like, "What are you talking about?" But <laughs> yeah. now no, I would have been like, like we, "Finally, yeah. you're listening to me." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Jordan Poole took a took a huge leap, and now like. Draymond Green and Steph Curry are like, oh yeah, Jordan Poole's on the court with us for sure. Yeah, like this is we we need him out here. And like I think they see that it's possible with Kaminga, it's possible with Moody. And I believe when we mention how high they are on Wiseman, I think a lot of times people take that as Joe Lacob's high on Wiseman, the front office is high, oh, maybe the coaching staff. Are. It's throughout the organization. The players remain high on what Wiseman could be. Although I will say I did listen, just listen to Slater and Nate Duncan on a little sneaky uh, last night podcast, and you guys had so many hot takes, you had to get it out early. It was good. I listened to it, but I was surprised that you both were just assuming that Wiseman is like going to be the favorite to be the starting center next. I just don't. That part I don't have. Yeah, I don't have that. I don't have that sense. Yeah, who's who's starting his place? Kevon Looney, who the guy who started the last twenty Looney. games of the season when they know. went fifteen and five. I you think that know. you think that you think the head coach is going into it thinking that Kevon Looney's not the starting center? I think there's some people who are like we were the twentieth ranked offense. 
<laughs> yeah, but they were how? What were they ranked with Wiseman out there? By the way, much better. <laughs> no, 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 no. Without no, no, no. you mean Wiseman out of there? Yes, they were with Wiseman on the floor. They were not. A, they were a terrible team. I like them. You're but I'm presuming saying, the same yeah. Wiseman comes back. Obviously yes, yeah, he's yeah. better. I'm just saying at this moment they don't know. At this moment, Kevon Looney's a starting center. At this moment, Kevon Looney is absolutely. I agree with Tim, center. especially with James Wiseman's like hasn't had a summer. He's I you know I actually talked to James briefly the uh, in Sacramento because shoot around was open. He was out there doing like stationary jumpers. He's 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 feeling good. He says he feels like he can get on the court by like maybe late this month September. So he is online to be in camp, and th- that's what I said to Nate. I don't think he's the favorite to be the starting center, but I do know he can win the job, and they want him to go win the job. You know what I mean? Like it's like it, once he feels like he's proving he's there, they're not going to hold him off. I agree that he's a ways away from that though. There, there's just no question he's away away from that. Let's talk about Kaminga and Moody last I'll night. I'll tell you uh, what, I yeah, see, I, I, I see why. They fell in love with Kaminga. <laughs> I rarely text people off of plays in a summer league, but I text both of you last night. <laughs> After what play? That was a freaking crossover right through. Oh, my God. I mean, again, it's summer league, but when the last time the Warriors have had a guy, other than Kevin Durant, who could do that? It just pops off the screen. Like, this guy's big and doing that stuff and looks confident. Again, Bad passes, we know. I mean, airball three-point. There, there are things that an 18-year-old is just going to do when he's out there. But I thought there were stuff that you could say, that guy can do that in the league. He can do that in the league right now, which just, to me, was, was very impressive about him. I liked his handle. His handle was better than what I thought it would be. He's definitely aggressive. He, he's good downhill. And he was, and I don't know if it's because he felt like you know the players were on his level he was very talkative very talkative for an 18 year old who at the draft didn't speak very much like when we talked to him but you could see him interacting he had he he kept dialoguing with uh gary payton a second and kept correcting players like i didn't think he would be that vocal so young but he he was out there like this is my team kind of <laughs> it was so you're, you're out there live yeah what's your sense of him live well, you know, to what Marcus is talking about, I agree. He was he was in the huddle talking, and like he had he had that dunk in Miami called timeout after, and he was they were like kind of coming back. I mean, nobody actually cares about the results of the game, but they did. You know, they're trying to win, and he was like, "Come on, let's go, let's go." And then afterwards, in the tunnel and in his post game, he was talkative. He lingered around. He chatted with the reporters. He was sitting there chatting with the front office. Like, I think in some ways maybe the personality was like maybe unfairly painted in the pre-draft process but i they've been really impressed with just the dude and the potential like you know young but not just the confidence but the leadership and then on the court i mean it was the strength that popped off at me i was sitting right behind the bench and like i'm, I'm probably 35 feet away when he's he gets that transition play where i mean two things the good and the bad first of all he should have made a wide open bounce pass for a dunk but instead he go he just downhills right at the center and you know we're talking about a pretty you know 23 year old six foot 10 245 pound center like a man even if he's not an nba talent center it's 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 a big dude and he jumps up square to square in the chest knocks the center back and then has the control to just like bank it in and it doesn't look like whoa that was kind of a wild circus shot he made he like lands strong looks at the ref and is like and one like come on give me Although that he should have and passed it's it. like the guy was wide open yeah oh he should have passed it he should have passed it for sure but it's like okay that's that is like no, that impressive. is elite wing scoring yeah. that is andrew wiggins 
I don't think goes through a center no like way. that and scores with that type of control. And I think the impressive part was finishing through that contact. Like that wasn't a circus shot. He finished that. I was like, yo, that's pretty nice. But you see my man slashing wide open right there, a little bounce pass. Oh, the passing. It was like sometimes you're like, wow, he's he's making a, a good read, but he's throwing it to the corner, and the guy in the corner is like jumping up to try to save it from coming out of bounds. It was inaccurate, and then he misopened guys yes, for sure. No but some of them by a lot. But th- th- that will happen. I just know. I just thought. I just thought how big he looked out there. He just looked huge. You know, I think he's actually probably six 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 seven listed at six eight. He looked like he was six nine six ten out there. Some guys just play bigger. Some guys play smaller. I, again, I'm not saying he's David West at all. I don't mean to say that. But, like, you know how David is like, he's actually 6'9", but you would swear he's 7 feet tall on the basketball court. That's the way I felt about Kaminga. Like, this guy's probably 6'6 six, six and, and he's playing like he's 6'10". You know, 6'10 guys are bumping into him, and he's playing center, as Slater noted. Like, he's actually playing a lot of center, and he's not getting pushed around. He's not getting, you know, I, mean, I hate to to say bad things about a guy who's now no longer a team. But Spilakish would be, you know, who's actually 6'10", would be flying around just getting touched by one of these guys. And Kaminga just did, you know, you, you couldn't, like, just bully him at centers, you know, you know, whatever, fringe NBA centers, but centers. He just, like, he, he had a shoulder, his shoulder, put his shoulder down and go into it again. I tell you, he wasn't bullying. Oh, Mary, you're seven. You're yeah. seven. Yeah, oh, he, he yeah, looked like where that dude came from. That guy looked like a player. That guy did look like, like a player. Yo, yes. Lengthy was, yeah. with some skills. Uh, summer, a summer league uh, baby there. But do I think Kaminga is going to play in week one or, or even like, you know, I'm thinking of 49ers. Or I'm sorry, game one or even game 20. Maybe not. But I, I can see some translatable stuff just because he looks confident. He looks under control other than the bad passing. He looks, you know, he's going to take those shots. I was, for a while, I like, you shouldn't be taking any more threes. And then he makes one. And just the physical, impressive physical. The like, guy just looks like he belongs out there bouncing around with anybody. And that is like the one thing you can get out of Summer League. Does he look like he's physically able to stay up with these guys? Or does he look like... I saw Bargnani in his first uh, Vegas Summer League. <laughs> he's went, this guy doesn't belong out there. He's, you can tell. Does, number one pick doesn't belong out there on a Summer League squad. You are not saying that about John Kaminga one game into a summer league career. At least I'm not. One last thing on Kaminga. I, I think that he is going to get regular minutes early in the season because I think it's lower stakes earlier in the season and no Clay Thompson. Probably, you know, I'm here, you know, December, January, probably with Clay. So I think he's going to have a, a, a pretty immediate rotation role. I mean, sure, like if it's a close game against a big time opponent, maybe it's less minutes. It's definitely not closing. Would they play him important. with Wiseman? Can you imagine him with Wiseman? The same. I mean, there'd be all kinds of all kinds of interesting stuff happening. <laughs> Put it that way. Those two on the floor together. And maybe when Clay comes back, he gets a long sit in the G League, which I've mentioned. But they certainly have not decided that. And it and and to me, he has a chance early in the season to stick in the rotation. It'll be dependent on him impressing. We'll see. I mean, look, we'll see. I mean, crazier things have happened. You know, I, he has a lot of on-court traits that will frustrate Draymond Green and Steph Curry. But he also has, you know, we mentioned book night in the lead-up and this idea that, like, book night would give them some some juice, some some rim attack that would really uh, inject the Warriors with, with something they didn't have. Well, I don't think we properly comprehended Jonathan Kaminga's is that in a wing version. I mean, talk about pressure on the rim. I, Miami players, like I said, I was 
they're sitting there in person, like their big men are rotating over, like going up in the air, and he's just muscling them. And it's just like you talk about just pressuring a defense. Like he was just constantly pressuring, physically pressuring Miami's defense. And it's something the Warriors could use on a second side attack when Steph Curry is getting doubled. Sometimes it's going to be wild. Sometimes it's going to lead to a turnover. But the shot blockers know when he's coming over and Jonathan Kaminga's maybe coming up and trying to dunk on him. And like that's just something they need, really. He's going to be the perfect candidate for that Steph Curry throw ahead, the outlet where he just, just throws it out there. And that dude's going to run it down. He's going to finish. <laughs> like, he's going to finish in the way they want Wiggins to. Last night he dropped. Remember the one he dropped late in the game where they, yes, like, I think it was yes, Gary Payton yes. bounced it? Like, there's yes. going to be that, too. Yes. But. yes. I think he's better than Eric Pascal right now. Now, I did, and Pascal wasn't in the rotation at the end of the year, and I was a lot more down on Pascal than anybody else, with the possible exception of some people in the Warriors' office. You could just see there was a ceiling to what Pascal could do, even – when he was going pretty well, and then he was going poorly, he was not playable. Kaminga's got this thing where, like, you're going to get stuff out of him. You're going to get some bad stuff, too, which I can might might not mean he's going to get regular minutes. But I could see him. The top-end stuff, Slater's beginning to convince me. Maybe he will be in the rotation. I mean, that means, like, taking minutes from JTA, though. I mean, they're going to do that right off the bat. It's an NBA season, which is just like, you know, JTA's missing tonight because he's got a little ankle tweak or, you know, Jordan Poole can't go because of this. Draymond's like hurting, so we're going to cut his minutes down. Yeah, they, they, yeah they, or, you there know, they're playing, the, they're playing the Cavaliers tonight and they just want to give Jonathan Kaminga 20 minutes and let him kind of do some stuff in the non-Curry minutes. I, like, there's just, I think you're they're going to throw him in the water early, kind of like they did with Wiseman and, you know. <laughs> very, very successfully there. Uh <laughs> They went a little bit too pressurized. <laughs> I love how right. Slater just predicted uh, Kuminga starting. Wow, overnight. I know. My God, he's got Wiseman and Kuminga starting with Draymond right off the bat. Wow. Joe Lake could make a personnel decision. No, uh, just kidding. Okay, Moses Moody. Moses Moody. Just completely as advertised, right? I mean, like, kind of slow offensively, um, couldn't beat guys individually off the dribble in, like, isolation situations, was, like, kind of forced into some mid-ranges that he missed. I think he went, like, 7 of 18. You can see, like, eh, there's probably the offensive ceiling at the NBA level. I think he's going to really struggle to finish at the rim against contest, but at the same time, just an advanced team defender, switchable, hands are in the right places. He's already, like, I think he can already, like, I'm not saying he can guard the James Hardens of the world, but the way he just like puts his hands up, he's like, I'm not going to foul. Like that's, that's smart, like veteran defensive type stuff seems to just be in places. Like they were late in the game. They're trying to come back and like, he's following a driver and suddenly it goes off the rim and he's grabbing the rebound. You're like, Whoa, where did he come from? He got a couple of like kind of tips deflections late. And then of course he hits the two corner threes. The shot looks really nice. I mean, they don't have, I don't think they have to do anything to his form. Do I think he's going to immediately be a rotation player? I don't know. I think the speed of the game and just the physicality he's going to have to adjust to. But certainly after one night, I maintain I think he's going to be a very solid role player for a decade. Good hands. That's what I noticed right away. Like the ball sticks on his hands and he's kind of moves to the spot where it's going to be a couple of those offensive rebounds, like the tip in. He's not dynamic. You know, he's not going to take two steps and get to the rim, but if you just have good hands, you're long, you get to the right spots, and you can hit a three, you can Seven play in this league. Span. Yeah, you can, Seven you can play in this league. The guard position, basically. He looks to me, he does, like you mentioned, you, you know, he, he looks like a Spurs player, right? He's just get to the spot, make a pass, make a cut, don't drop it. 
I think Kerr's going to like him. I, I do think Kerr's going to like him a lot. I, you know, again, they do they do need dynamic athletes. When you when you have Draymond out there, or you have Looney out there, or if you have even Wiseman out there, sometimes like you know, you you need a little bit of initiation. But when Steph's out there, he can just stand in the corner and hey, hey, give me you know, give me it. I'll get it. I'll move the right play and I'll put the shot Back in. I'll screen. follow it. He's not going to have the Ubre problems. Yeah. No, he's like yeah, he's like almost the antithesis of Ubre is where he he kind of you can see he's got a feel for it. And uh, yeah, Ubre is not a Spurs kind of player. And was not a Warriors kind of player. I think Moody is that kind of player. It can disappear. I'm, I'm sure there'll be games his whole career where you go, oh, God, did Moody play? You know, I didn't really notice him out there. He's not going to show up, I don't think. But was Phoenix happy they had Bridges? You know, for all those big games, yes, because he did stuff. Sometimes you didn't notice him, but he did stuff. I think Moody maybe not right away, but for a 19 year old, he looked like he knew that what the hell he was doing, and that that is a positive sign for what he's going to be like when he's 21, 22 for sure. Yeah. I definitely liked his, uh, his presence in his poise. Like he knew what to do out there. He, he, you could tell he knows how to play basketball. And part of that is because he's not an exceptional athlete. You can tell he's had to work with that. Right. And, and, you know, especially playing in Arkansas, he's probably had to defend a bunch of athletes, but he just, his positioning, his spacing, like he knowing where to be. Uh, I just, I like that about him, but I will say, him at number seven would have been a different pick. <laughs> that, that would have been <laughs> like, that's not a number seven pick. Yeah. It's a really easy way to say why one player's at seven and one player's at 14. Because well, the guy let's they say took Kaminga, at seven, let's yeah, say... Yeah, the, yeah, the guy they took at seven could be incredible. Might not be, but he could be. The guy they took at 14 cannot be incredible. He's there. There is a absolute level that he's not going to get to, but he can get to be good. But that's why, you, again, I think Davian Mitchell, I saw he looked great in, in a couple of summer league games. But again, that's why I wasn't thinking him at seven, just because he's too short to be that kind of, you know, just kind of not, I don't want to say, you know, transcendent because that's who, who's that, but like a guy who could just make a difference every time he's on the floor. I don't know that Kaminga is going to be that, but that's why you take him at seven because there's a chance he might. There's a chance he does six things a game where you just go, whoa. And that's what you want at seven. That's the difference between seven and four. Marcus, that's exactly. You, you wouldn't want necessarily Moses Moody at seven just because you don't see that. You see a lot of other things, but you don't see that. Yeah, and if Kaminga doesn't fall to seven, they, really all their choices at seven would have been, you know, like – Franz Wagner probably is going to be like a solid role player, but again, he doesn't have the superstar ceiling. I don't know. We'll see if, if they would have had two of those guys, right? They would have had one at seven and one at fourteen, right? Yeah, you guys are getting this. Like, if okay, say OKC doesn't take Giddy, they take you know, and they take Kaminga. The Warriors take Giddy, right? Is that basically what you would have seen? I've heard in retrospect, yes, Giddy was was high on their board. Also, you know, the book night possibilities interesting when we mentioned you know like you know big potential superstar swings like you know book night i'm curious to see him in summer league and into his first first season like he's the type of player who could you know you put him on a summer league court and maybe we'd be like whoa you know look at the way he's getting to the rim and all that so he he i guess would have been that type of option the other thing with moody like you know post game you can just see the maturity just just talking to him i actually sat down with him for an interview i'm gonna write uh coming up but he's just he talks about vast basketball at a pretty advanced level last night he was like he was he was kind of mad at himself because he gave up two middle drives and he was talking about like i can't give up the middle drive i need to work on that next game that was that was emphasis that's one of my emphasis i'm like you know it sounds like a 26 year old like seven-year vet talking about himself post game so 
I mean, it's clear that's what they like about him. Best player on the court for the Warriors, Gary Payton the second. Let's go. Yeah, I'm gonna, argue with I'm gonna argue with you on that one. You're I don't see spot. it there. Yeah, I don't see you don't it there. see you don't see what? I see that he he's useful, but I don't see him as an NBA player. I just don't and he just can't shoot it well enough. And that's, he, that's and surprises for Mister Defense yeah. over here. Yeah, I mean, I like that part of it, but he's a he's he's a small defender. He's he's really erratic with the ball. And again, if he's on a roster, I can see it. I don't think there's any necessity to have him on a roster. Uh, he just throws the ball around like it's you know he's reckless with the ball and he's not a great shooter. That those are two tough things for a guy who's not six foot five. In my in my opinion, I think he's exceptional defensively. Exceptional, like will be a problem for whoever yeah. he's and, on. And and they play and him. He, you know, they play and him. He's in that athletic. Role. He is sneaky athletic too. Like he's going to. I don't even think it's sneaky. Yeah, I mean, it, it really ain't sneaky. Yeah, he's just athletic. He he is. He gets his hands on so many balls, he's and that's the thing I like old, about him. Uh, I yeah. like about that about him. He's just not a youngster. This is a dude who's been around. You can tell. It helps you on defense. Like you're not pulling wool over his eyes if you're an offensive player. He he's ready. They they don't. Who who do they have to go in and guard guards? Yeah. Guards? So, yeah, I mean, so it was Uber. It was Uber. Yeah. It was Uber. Yeah. Not just Uber. It was Bazemore too. And you know that was their point of attack. That was their pickup full court type of guys. You know Wiggins will will guard the wing, but guys that really bought like go bother a score. Like that's what I thought. Davion Mitchell could really help them with. And the fact is they lost. They're probably going to lose Uber. They lost Bazemore. They didn't get Mitchell. They're replacing them with like the Otto Porters, the Nemanja Bjelica, smart players that certainly fit into the offensive system more cerebral guys. But they are lacking that. And if I was to make the argument for Gary Payton to be on the roster, it would be like they just they need somebody to go bother a score for five minute stints. He would be that option. I I do want to say on a situation though, it's very likely he is going to be released before August eleventh. I believe is his partial guarantee date. But there are high on him, and there's a chance if he agrees to it after being waived, he could be coming back maybe for camp, maybe a non guaranteed minimum deal. Also, it because he signed a two-year minimum deal at the end of last season. His current minimum is higher than what his like a one-year minimum would be. So even if it's like waive him, sign him to a non-guaranteed minimum, it actually shaves his salary down, which helps with tax money. So that's what I expect to happen with him in the next couple of weeks. He had eight rebounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did? I'm not a, I'm not against it. I I just think there's a little over over estimation of what his his value is in the league and. That's what, fine. What is yeah. the estimation? That he's like an NBA player, and I don't know that he is. I don't know that he is. And there's and the NBA seems to agree with me. I don't know. I just is so reckless with the ball, so reckless with the ball. And Marcus, this is he, when you ping him on JTA. Yeah, yeah. I'm exactly. not. I'm not doing that. Uh, he already <laughs> knows. <laughs> that's, How that's old is JTA, by the way? Uh, Twenty nine, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'm fine. With, I, I'm fine if you're six foot seven. It's a whole different ball game if you're six foot seven. And you can defend everybody, but I don't know about. Well, that. who's six but for seven? Because Juan ain't six for seven. What is he? Six six? <laughs> Whatever he is, he's lengthy. He plays bigger. He plays bigger. This is what I love about the whole JTA thing. I praise him. I praise him. I praise him. And then I said specifically, I don't know if I see a role for him. And then the entire JTA world hates me forever on that. Uh, and then because he, he wasn't playing at the time, by the way. And then Pascal's out, and everyone's out, and the JTA plays great. So then I praise him. But if I'm forever the guy who's hated on JTA, whatever, what? No, well, he's talking about the this idea that you haven't been in the league, you haven't been in the league, you've been trying to make it, and oh, then that's you make true. it, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah, pretty that, good. That part's fine. That, that part's that's fine. What that. Yeah, I don't 
don't think Gary Payton is as little as as like he's six foot three, legitimately, and he's athletic. So he's he's much closer. At his wingspan is great. I don't see why you couldn't use him. I don't see why any team couldn't use him. He he's played well at every stop. Obviously, the thing is the shot, but yeah, sometimes you need a third point guard, right? It's <laughs> every roster has a yeah, dude. I mean, on the if team you're saying be like who's better for them in the first week of the season, Nico Mannion or Gary Payton the second, I think it's a toss up. I do, but I'm also it just depends on to, what you value. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I might lean to the 20 year old instead of the 28 year old. Maybe that's my problem. And you describe it well. Just they they have played him. He has gone right on top of the ball. I think was it Lillard or whoever. I mean, they, Steve's put him out there. It's like just go get that guy for for three minutes. But I just think fans might overestimate him because his name. Again, that's fine because his, you know the local ties. That's fine. There's a reason why he hasn't had a role in the NBA. Is would be my opinion on that one. And if the Warriors keep him, that's fine. If they don't keep him, I think it's fine. The reason is shooting. Yes, that's the reason. That's pretty important. It's pretty important. I talked about this on another podcast. There is a correction happening. Like we can overvalue shooting, and that's what has been happening a bit. Is you're, this you're the Justinian the Jessup section? Is this the Justinian No, no, Jessup? but a the perfect example, right? Justin, yeah. just, no, he can shoot, sure. he can do that one thing. He gets on the court. He cannot even be on the court with Gary Payton a second. But we're watching, we watched Joe Harris can't do the one thing he can do in the playoffs, and he was useless. Davis Bertans has been nothing. <laughs> Doug McDermott just got overpaid. Like at some point, there's gonna be a correction. He got Doug McDermott got a what do you get forty something million dollars? Good, good player, really good player. But we are starting to see this correction. You know who can't shoot or who shot horribly, but they did so many other things that it was all right. Drew Holiday. I was gonna say Drew Holiday. <laughs> Drew, you're gonna say Drew Holiday. Like I love PJ Drew Tucker Holiday. did not yeah. shoot it well. He's six foot five. He couldn't make a corner three anymore. Ask Milwaukee would they want him, right? Like so. Oh, I guess the answer is no because they didn't yeah. get him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said go see him. It's like we got what we needed from you. That's it. I just no, think no, there's no. a there's I think there is becoming uh, like you know this, this stuff is all cyclical. There's like nobody we hate centers. No centers. No centers. Now you're starting to see centers come back. I do think there's a role growing for the gritty guard who plays defense, who rebounds, who does other stuff, and you can compensate by add shooting elsewhere. I think those players are starting to become a little bit more valuable, which is, you know, obviously if you could stick a shot, it helps you tremendously, right? Like if, if he could shoot, this wouldn't even be a conversation. He'd be on a team. He'd have a nice little contract. But the fact that he can't shoot. It's like get to a spot that can get you a shot. Like he flings some things up oh, there. Oh, he's getting yeah, to the it, rim. It, He's getting to the rim. He just, he's not getting. He's have, not getting to. He's not getting to a, a solid twelve footer though. He's just not. It's just not. Yeah, who he is. That's I fine. Mean, that's, which is that's fine. A lot which is of fine. players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 If he but, had that, he'd have the yeah. contract. And yeah, no. And, and is he a better player than Nico Mannion? Yes, he probably is a better player than Nico Mannion. But that's also a guy who might not be in the league, right? That's that's also a guy that we're debating whether he he's an NBA player or not. That's what I'm saying. He's on that. You know, there's a Jeremy Linz, and I've gone back through time. Chris Duhans, you know, like there's those point guards that are just they're moderately talented. You have to have the right system for them, the right coach. They're not going to play much, but they can get you into stuff. Is Gary Payton a second in that world? Yeah, maybe. And there's some guys who've had eight year, ten year, you know. 12 year NBA careers, but they also have been cut and go from team to team to team. And he might be in that, in that he actually, that's what he's been in. That's the category he's been in this league. Slater, do you see another, I mean, they clearly need a point guard. Do you see 
yeah, somebody yeah, else think, out there. I, I think guard is is it's part of why we're having the Gary Payton conversation and part of you know again I told you I do believe he's going to be waived and and if he's willing to stick around I do think they'll keep him in the program as a possibility to earn a spot in camp. You know, well, if Clay, I, I, by the way, if the Clay's not healthy, then they really need a guard, right? They absolutely yeah. because they have Steph, they have Poole, you know, they, Jordan Poole, and I mean, for what? Just yeah. ride it out, see what Kamiga <laughs> look, put Kamiga at guard, Kamiga <laughs> six foot eight guard. Yeah. Mannion's on a qualifying offer, but that qualifying offer is a two way. So if he can't find a, a better deal out there, he'll probably take that, and he will be on a two way. What's um, up with Damian Lee? Damian Lee, I think it might be August fifteenth. The like five hundred k guarantee. Yeah, so, yeah. so I mean, by then they'll know who they did or didn't get in free agency. And like Damian Lee, I would predict will very likely be on the roster. But I guess if they if they strike big over the next few that's days, that's the on, bar they have to clear, though, right? You got to yeah, get a basically. player that's better than Damian Lee. Well, what's Mark is quick, you know, because we should wrap up. But what's your sense on Iguodala and the Iguodala situation? I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know who, who wants it. I don't know if he wants it. I don't know if he wants to make the minimum. I think Andre Gondala feels like he probably has more value than that. If so, it seems like it would have already happened if he was going to do it. And maybe he needs to see there isn't anything else out there. That's what these days in free agency are about. Are okay. The, the, out, the yeah. big money rush has happened. There's no cap space really left across the league. Now all the guys remaining need to find need to come to terms with you know what their market truly is. Go searching for creative ways to make what they want. But then you know, I mean, Kelly Oubre, another example. Uh, eventually figuring out well where 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 is the best fit even if it's just a one-year deal, to try to get money next year. And I'm not saying Iguodala. To me, Iguodala is deciding, like, where does he want to continue his career, essentially? He would fit a role they still haven't filled, which is the veteran guy, locker room guy, who takes the burden off Steph and Draymond from being Think the he'd help Kaminga uh, and Moody? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think he'd help all those young guys. I, somebody's got to pull the young guy aside. Like when he comes out of the game and he's not, he didn't play well or he's not listening, and somebody's got to talk to him with some credibility. Literally, Steph and Draymond cannot do that because they're probably on the court playing, <laughs> right? So that they they miss that person. They miss the guy who, like you know, is gonna talk to Looney about eating right and getting his body in shape, and you know, like talk to guys about money and keep guys head like they just don't have that they were relying on Steph and Draymond to be that and that's that's you you need somebody who's not so central to what you're doing on the court so I, I think they could use them they really need that presence obviously has the rapport with with Steph and Draymond already and Clay and you know come playoff time you, you like it, it, Andre on your team uh, but I don't know how much he would play during the season but I do think his presence would matter on the scene. It's something they just haven't had. All right, Marcus, take us out. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> we will talk to you again at some point soon. Probably I may come to you from late in Summer League from Vegas. We're coming to you from a... Summer League. Why late? Can we do it while I'm there? Let's do it. You know, we'll get a couple more Summer League games in so we get a, a better look at, at the two draft picks. And then also by that time, I assume they're kind of wrapping up what their full roster is probably going to look like by about August 12. Until then, we will keep you posted. <laughs>